0: All right. Here we go. Quiet, quiet, quiet. roll
1: up. Hello, and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online aficionado, Rich Drees.
2: And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky.
1: You completely hesitated there because you couldn't come up with anything else. Uh, Yeah,
2: no, (laughs) I was like, I was going to shoot for the joke and then I was like, ah.
1: (laughs) And you did improv in college?
2: Yes. And (laughs) improv Uh, joke.
1: That's all I need to say, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. (laughs)
2: That's that's just hurtful.
1: Thanks. You're welcome.
2: Uh, so,
1: welcome it's back. It's we'll been. To re-
2: uh, it's too late. We'll have to remember to do this on the back side of this. I forgot to take room tone.
1: <laughs> okay, that's fine.
2: Okay. <laughs> Moving along. Welcome back.
1: Welcome back to the airwaves. It's been almost two months since we, we've
2: been busy. We've
1: been it's very too busy. Too busy. Yeah. Too busy.
2: Because I, I miss these times when we just get together on Sunday and talk about what's going on in the movie world and um i'm glad someone does seen. wow
1: <laughs> i know i'm in fine form today i'm sorry i apologize i will chill
2: <laughs> that would be nice
1: love you <laughs> love you too <laughs> i should be nice you made me eggs
2: i know um <laughs> Uh anyways, um But no, I do yes. I
1: do miss these times together.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, we are recording on Sunday morning. Hopefully, we'll have this out in a day or two. Um and the first thing I wanted to bring up though was something you know, I just kind of saw as we were getting ready. Uh the great Bud Friedman, uh the founder own, uh, owner of the New York Improv, one of the most influential comedy clubs of the 1980s stand-up comedy boom passed away last night at the age of 90
1: hmm. he had a long and fulfilling life and,
2: and i don't think his influence can ever be underestimated um excuse me overestimated um because he was just so influential in getting so many careers started here in new york uh on the east coast um if you, you often hear about Los Angeles is the comedy store, and how Mitzi Shore built that up, and it became a great place where people like Letterman and Leno and got their start, uh, Jim Carrey, and the, the the list goes on and on. Uh, the improv is pretty much the same thing that happened here on the East Coast. At approximately the same time, I think Bud Friedman might have started a little bit earlier than Mitzi Shore did. Um, That's just going on my memory. I'd have to actually go back and look it up to be absolutely sure. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, And I've been to the improv, saw some great shows there in the 90s. Uh, Bud comes out with his trademark monocle, you know. um, And, um, but even before that in the 80s, he was one of the first people to get like stand up just stand-up shows on television. Usually you had Johnny Carson and then, like, Letterman or somebody else doing Late Night. They'd have a stand-up comic. Come on. Do five minutes. Sit down on the couch. Tell another th- two, three minutes worth of jokes from their act in the form of a fake interview. And that's how you saw stand-up. Friedman had a show called A&E's A Night at the Improv. And it was a half-hour show. But you got three comics. And so you got maybe a seven-minute chunk out of each comic. And at some point, A&E was running it like five nights a week at 11 o'clock at night or something like that. Mm. So if you were like me at that time and were very interested in stand-up, you got a smorgasbord of great comics. Everybody, I'm thinking like uh, Judy Gold, Elaine Boozler. Um, here's one. And you probably... I'm not even sure you knew that person was a stand-up. I remember Michael Keaton being on An Evening at the Improv.
1: Not surprised. Um, Not surprised. I mean, mm -hmm. when you think about where he got started film-wise, you've often made the joke several times, Mr. Mom is going to be Batman. (laughs) So, no, I'm not surprised by that
2: at all. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's, um, you know, just i'm I'm still kind of like processing this here um let me I had the uh the deadline. It's article a bad here. week for
1: comics,
2: yeah, this was not a good this last week. it feels like uh there was a couple of comic book artists who passed away um
1: the great Gallagher Gallagher that really I, hurt
2: you you were a fan
1: that was my first comedy show, yes, yes. <laughs> And, I know. and the fact that you know he brought me up on stage for the finale, and I got to smash the watermelon, <laughs> that just it made my experience forevermore just perfect.
2: True, and uh,
1: and getting flowered on. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah,
2: having that flower thrown on you. Um, <laughs> and it's ironic though, because you know Gallagher was very key in uh, a part of the Great Comedy Strike at the comedy store in the late 70s mm-hmm. uh, when uh, the young comics were like, can we at least get like five bucks to cover gas to come here every night? And Mitzi Shore was like, no. And then the comics were sitting there watching how much the bar was making. Um, and that that kind of changed the whole dynamic of how comedy clubs worked. And uh, he, was, he was kind of influential in that he provided a space for a lot of the uh, – the main comics in that movement a place to come and meet at his house or his apartment or wherever he was living. Um, so it, it's it's kind of odd that, you know, two people who, uh, well, obviously Bud Freeman, very, very, very much a key figure, but Gallagher also, you know, and I'll admit I'm not much of a fan as you are, but, um, you know, he had a key linchpin role in the evolution of what stand-up comedy is today mm-hmm. if not for his act for his actions
1: yeah and so and what really just drove it home was that that evening i had sat down to watch weird the uh the yankovitz story mm-hmm. uh with dango Radcliffe, and <laughs> they had someone playing gallagher in the film and I'm not gonna lie, I he, I got the sniffles and I teared up a bit because it was just too soon. It felt like it was too soon.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well. Um. Well. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who who that was actually, who played Gallagher. Oh. Oh. It was Paul F. Tompkins. Mm. If you were to look for the exact, uh. Pendulum swing opposite of Gallagher's act. <laughs> it would probably be Paul F. Tompkins, <laughs> you know. So, which is amazing to me. I mean, that whole sequence, and we're going to talk about weird in a little bit. Uh, so, so I'll hold off on my thoughts there. Um, one other thing I wanted to, t- one other passing I wanted to make note of, Kevin Conroy. Yeah,
1: yes, I knew you were going there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Speaking of uh, comics and Batman.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Michael Keaton. There we are. Um,
1: That's what you call I, connecting the dots, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah,
2: growing up as a kid, the animated superhero stuff I got wasn't great. You know, Super Friends, and I know a lot of people out there who are comics nerds have warm memories of Super Friends. But, i never even heard of it. Oh, it was in the 70s and 80s. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. And it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine when you're eight.
1: Nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I, looking back, um, I, I don't have many fond memories. It mm-hmm. was when I was... It was, yeah, after college, like in the early 90s, when Batman the Animated Series came out. And they were taking Batman seriously. And they were doing different iterations of Batman.
1: Yeah. Seriously. I, I, I've never actually watched any of Batman the Animated Series. However, I know of its influence and its mm-hmm. deep respect. Um, I know a lot of people who are uh, friends of mine who watched that and Batman Beyond growing up and it became so much a part of who they are and of their ideology that you almost feel a kinship to Batman the Animated Series and to Kevin Conroy mm. through what your friends are telling you. Well-
2: It's not just those two shows. I mean, he went on to play Batman, voice Batman, and a number of other animated things. Mm -hmm. The Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, um, some other shows, as well as a number of video games. He was considered, you know, the definitive Batman actor. Yeah. Outside of, you know, look at Christian Bale, everybody else. Nope. It was Kevin Conroy. And apparently he was the world's nicest guy, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But... If if you're looking for probably one of his best performances in the role of Batman, it's actually when he's playing Bruce Wayne in the episode with Robin's origin. And he comes, you know, Bruce comes into the, the one of the studies or whatever at Wayne Manor and Robin uh, Dick Grayson's just kind of like sitting around moping. Um, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since his parents have been dead and Bruce has, uh, you know, brought him into his home as his ward. Mm. And he's like, Dick, I'm really sorry. I haven't been around. And then they have a conversation about how Dick felt helpless while his parents and while watching his parents die. And you can hear in Kevin Conroy's performance of Bruce, how he talks about I had to, yeah, how he went through the same thing when his parents were gunned down in crime alley. Mm -hmm. And, there is an emotional level there. There is a sensitivity there. There's an, a, just an incredible performance. That it's a, teen, it's a cartoon aimed basically at teenagers. You didn't need this level of craft and excellence. But Kevin Conroy brought it. And it's a moving, moving uh, uh, scene. Um, you know, I I saw a number of this is one of the first things I thought of when I saw the news of his passing. I saw a lot of people mentioning it on on social medias as well, along with a lot of other things. Um I know later on this weekend I'm planning on going back and rewatching um Batman uh Mask of the Phantasm, which I think is just it's one of the better Batman movies altogether. <laughs> uh live action or what? <laughs> um But yeah, so it was, it's been a bit of a downer week, uh, unfortunately, Um, uh, to the point where I wanted to write something about it being the 50th anniversary of the launch of HBO this past week, Mm. especially because we are in the very first market that HBO was in here in the Wilkes-Barre Scranton area.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: In fact, there's a plaque down on tom uh,
1: mclaughlin put it yep. up yep, yep. I, I saw it the Former other night. mayor yeah yeah uh
2: commemorating you know that hbo started here from little <laughs> and then as soon as it got enough money they moved out and are in new york and la now that but... sounds
1: like any child moving out of their parents house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i yeah. love that analogy i do it and it's so weird to think that yeah we're just we have you know we got some movies we're going to show you and you pay us 10 bucks a month or whatever it was at the time mm-hmm. and now look at it
1: yeah it's massive um i was actually i was on it last night um watching cleopatra and a few other things the the queen i i've been in a a weird state um you want to talk about bummer though And this ties with HBO, because I walked in and I saw Darren watching Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm -hmm. And I walked in just as they're approaching Hagrid about how Uh. did the hearing go for Buckbeak. And just the sensitivity of Robbie Coltrane. I flopped on the sofa at that moment, and I almost burst into tears.
2: Yeah, this this we have we've been losing a lot of the good ones lately.
1: Oh, the voice of the sorting hat was this week as well.
2: Oh jeez. Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, aye.
1: I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. But uh. it's just been it's just been an uh It's it's coming to that time and I think we all kind of reach it in our lives where something that we loved as a child, you know, we're we're be We're coming to adults, so they're going to an older age, and mm-hmm. we're going to start losing them. It's like losing a beloved parent,
2: I've someone been... that helped you. <laughs> I've been living this life for 20-some years there. <laughs> um,
1: but, no, I, but I, yeah. I'm i reaching that yeah. area.
2: Where you're starting to yeah. lose key figures.
1: Oh, my God. And... When when I lose Maggie Smith, I'm going to be... Um, freaking mess mm-hmm. and
2: I, <laughs> it's also the anniversary this past week of uh, stan lee's passing
1: mm.
2: <laughs> let's let's just pile on the sadness shall we <laughs> um this is
1: getting to be a bummer episode yeah, guys I know. yeah it is this Sorry. just turned into like a serious in memoriam and i apologize this,
2: this should come with like a uh, kleenex or something <laughs> so <it's,
1: laughs> trigger warning <laughs>
2: Hey, I think on the the iTunes thing, I'm just going to say in this episode, Rich and Natasha talk about a lot of dead people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. it's a funky, gloomy day here. Yeah. I, I drove through a hailstorm to come here <laughs> to record and I appreciate and we that. start talking about dead people.:
2: Yes, so anyways. Weird, the Al Yankovic story. <laughs> I have. How no, about
1: that ending? That, let's
2: let's not go there. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil that. I don't want to spoil a lot of that movie because it's, it's hard. so good. I know. There's so it's so good in that it's funny. I think every joke works. Usually, you get a comedy and there's a couple of jokes that clunk. I can't think of a single joke where I was like.
1: There's an inside joke in that movie to Harry Potter, by the way.
2: There is what? Yeah. Okay, what did I miss?
1: When he's talking to Dr. Demento for the first time, he goes, wait, you're, you're, you want to be my mentor? And He goes, no, I want to be your mentor." Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then if you look really quickly, there's a cutaway back to Daniel. It's weird where he goes. <laughs> <laughs> and that okay. would be where a video podcast would see, work ladies and gentlemen
2: you see i'm such an old school dr Demento. my god this movie opens up with the the original dr demento opening but it's just um rain wilson doing the voice of dr demento but it's that's how the old that's how his radio show would start I've listened you know to a Pico little bit of it Sepulveda. um and and i'm sitting there and an, I saw this at the Philadelphia Film Festival, and we can touch on a couple of other things I saw there, too, uh, later. But the second you hear, and going to and be going to, you know, it's like, woo, woo, you know, when you hear the, the uh, uh, horns and the squeaky toys and stuff, I broke into the biggest smile. I was just like, I was transported back to maybe a few years older than now, sitting in my bedroom <laughs> at night on a Sunday night listening to um, Dr. Demento. Uh, one is funny. He was in two. He was in two different markets that kind of overlapped where we were living. Mm-hmm. So I could tune in onto the one channel at nine o'clock, you know, and I'd listen from nine to eleven. And if any point during that show I heard a song I wanted to record onto a mixtape, mm-hmm. I would just go, make a note <laughs> of the time, tune over to the other channel where he started at ten o'clock. And then an hour later, you know, it's just, just, oh, okay, it's about 20 after, I know it's coming up after Fish Heads, and play, record, you know, and I'd get the song on, you know, just recorded it off my stereo. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I, w- I had like 15 90-minute tapes like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really, really want to talk about the, it, it's hard... But God, I want to talk about the Pablo Escobar section.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, It's
1: hard not to.
2: I know. I I don't know if that goes too far into spoilers.
1: The movie's been out for like a week and a half already. Okay,
2: okay. If you haven't gotten to uh, watch Weird, the Al Yankovic story on the Roku channel yet, um, sorry, we're going to go into a little bit of spoiler territory. We'll be back. Uh, You can skip ahead a little bit and... uh, I'm not sure where we're going to start our uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh discussion. I'm not sure how I'm going to transition from Weird Al to Black Panther, but um
1: I'll figure it out. We'll
2: figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. Anyways, go ahead, Pablo Escobar.
1: That was the most <laughs> fucked up Matrix <laughs> bullshit I've ever seen in this film. And it's it's I mean, this movie's a parody film, which makes mm-hmm. sense cuz Weird Al is like the king of parody, so of course there would be, the movie that would be made about him would be a parody of his life.
2: Oh, of course. There's no fucking other way to genius.
1: do it. genius. Um, that being said, some of it was, it bordered on cringe and some of it was like, this is fucking genius and my jaw's on the floor. <laughs> and... The moment Madonna gets kidnapped out of the diner, when he says, "If I don't, if I lost you, I don't know what I would do," and all of a sudden he just becomes this badass super like
2: goes all John Wick on everybody. He
1: does (laughs) order up, (laughs) (laughs) sticking the guy's head in the freaking waffle maker. I was like, "Ooh, god damn!" Mm
2: -hmm. Um, now. Back and I this I mentioned this in my uh review at Film Buff. Um back in nineteen ninety nine, I had the I had the opportunity to interview Al. Mm. Um Running with Scissors, the album was just coming out, which had his Don McLean parody on it, The Saga Begins, which is all about the Phantom Menace. And they were getting ready to go on tour. And so it was kind of like a one of those renaissances that kind of seem to bubble up every couple of years where he has like a bunch of things happening all at once Mm. and then you know that kind of happens for about a year and then it kind of he kind of like bubbles down a little bit in pop culture and then you know five six bloop he's back you know it's 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 an amazing career cycle for 40 years where most uh, other musical comedy acts have been like in well in the rock era i would say one hit wonders two hit wonders you know, they only last a couple of years and then they flame out. Uh, so, yeah. So his longevity at this point is ridiculous. <laughs> and no, it's
1: because everyone at any point in their life can turn on Weird Al. And it's like being a child again.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's just a fun silliness to yeah. what he does.
1: It's enjoyable. It's wholesome.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think also that since pop music is always recreating itself and reinventing itself. Mm-hmm. He has that ability to come in and go what I do I'm still going to do, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it with different material now. You know, they're fundamentally writing something like um, White and Nerdy or Amish Paradise is it, it's the same kind of comedic muscle he's operating as fat you know the michael jackson parody of bad um or eat it so you know it's just that music is changing and he just keeps doing the same thing and that's i think the genius of his longevity um but
1: one of the things i loved about this film is in some of your major roles it's all child actors did you notice Mm -hmm. you had like evan rachel wood um, as Madonna, you obviously Daniel Radcliffe. One of Daniel's bandmates is Spencer Tree Clark, who played <laughs> Lucius and Gladiator and the kid from Unbreakable. Like mm-hmm. you get to see some of the people who weren't destroyed by the industry who grew up probably with Al and, and maybe even kept them sane during some of that. <laughs> and to be able to just come into this and just th- you could tell they're all just having a fucking blast.
2: Oh, God, yeah. That looked like the <laughs> most fun set ever. Um, but, but I want to go back when I was interviewing Al, though, in 99. Uh, one of the things that was happening for him at the time was VH1's Behind the Music mm-hmm. was doing an episode on Weird Al. Now, at the time, VH1's Behind the Music, their bread and butter was all the tragedy and shit that was going on in a band's career. You know, like, and then the guitarist got hooked on heroin. You know, it was it was stuff like that. And Al's like There's no controversy in my life whatsoever. I I'm a nice yeah. I've never got into big beefs with anybody. Uh I've never had a drug abuse problem. I'm not a <laughs> drunk. You know, he 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 was actually kind of bemused and kind of laughing at the fact that VH1 wanted to do a behind the M- music episode on him. And I kind of see th- weird. The Al Yankovic story. It's a parody as, of that. As, you know, his kind of, like, comedic reaction to what a VH1 behind the music episode could have been. Yeah,
1: because, like, in this, he's having beefs with Dr. Demento. Mm-hmm. He's having beefs with his band. He turns into a drunk. He's fighting <laughs> with
2: his parents. And, and it's hitting all... Every single stereotype in the uh, biopic handbook. And it's doing it in a funny way and a different way than something like Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story does. Yeah. In fact, those these two movies would be hella fun to watch back to back. I mean, I'd probably wrench my back from laughing.
1: I spent the entire movie, however, like a Leo meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> like someone would just pop up on screen like, oh, 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 oh. Lim,
2: Miranda. At one point, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's okay. I was at the Philadelphia (laughs) Film Festival screening of Al of Weird. Um, the, The one of the program directors is on stage. And because he was actually in town, because they were performing at some theater the next night. Al comes out on stage for about 30 seconds just to say, hi, thanks for watching this utterly true story. So already the the place was like, holy shit, Weird Al just showed up and went bananas. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, so already the energy level in this room is like 900%. <laughs> and, you know, that whole opening thing, you know, it starts, you know, the crashing of the uh, gurney through the hospital room, through the hospital into the operating room and everything and then the doctor pulls off his mask and it's Lin-Manuel Miranda and the place, I thought people were going to rip up seats and it's just like (laughs) riot
1: Oh no, the one that gets me is the waiter Did you notice who the waiter was at one point?
2: Um Oh when he when he's out with Madonna? Yeah. Oh crap. Um it was
1: Josh Groban. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just walked on for 1 second, said one line and walked out. And I lost it laughing and Darren's looking at me going, "Wait, who was that?" I like Josh Groban. <laughs> he's like no, I went yes, and I had to turn it back right, to <laughs> rewind the freaking thing so and, you could see it.
2: And in that party, the barbecue at Doctor DeMentos' house.
1: Oh God, it, that's but, just a big point, and you're hitting
2: something. It, and that it's it's a point, and oh my God, that person cameo, uh, event on two levels because one you're like, oh, it's deep guys from Devo. Oh look, it's Andy Conan, Warhol.
1: Conan O'Brien yeah, is Andy but Warhol, but then you're like,
2: oh. It's Conan O'Brien as Andy Warhol. Oh, it's Emo Phillips as Um yeah. Dolly. And,
1: oh, oh my God, Jack Black as oh, Wolfman Jack.
2: Yes. Oh look, there's uh David Bowie and uh, David oh, Demulshian. And then there's, you know, um Standing in the back, you know, Kate Pearson of the B fifty twos. And these are all people I would actually expect at a Dr. Demento party because they're all people that Dr. Demento has played over the years. <laughs> um Yeah, and of course, Gallagher in there as well, Paul F. Tompkins. Um
1: uh, I'm sorry, David Demolition is the <laughs> the bassist from Queen. Mm-hmm. Like that was genius. Yes.
2: And it's funny because I think the great thing about how they're playing with those stereotypes is, you know, if you're an Al fan, you know that, yeah. Weird Al wrote his Queen parody. Another one rides the bus mm-hmm. and recorded it in a bathroom at his college radio station's uh, ba- uh, the men's room of his college radio station, and then sent the yes. tape into Dr. Demento.
1: And that it, part I know is yes. true.
2: Uh, so, so most of how they recast that story into it becomes a challenge, f- you know, from the bassist of Queen to do this at a party after he's already achieved a certain amount of fame by being on the Dr. Demento show. It's like, okay, this is an entirely bullshit way how the song came about. And yet, and yet, they have one little granular piece of truth in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Bermuda Schwartz, Weird Al's longtime drummer, who's still with him. Actually, he's all three of his band members are still with him <laughs> after 40 years. Wow. Um, you see Bermuda Schwartz take uh, the accordion case and start playing drums on it. That that's the drum sound that's on the actual recording of another one rides the bus, because they could obviously they couldn't fit drums into the men's room. Yeah, so so it was just Bermuda Schwartz doing a little you know rhythmic bongo tapping thing on the um on the accordion, accordion case. case. Yes, so. So I yeah, I appreciated that even within like the silliness of it, they were like, Well, here's one little actual bit of truth.
1: And that's why they threw like him recording my Bologna in the in the bathroom.
2: Yeah, yeah. They shifted, you know, that part to there. And um, wow, it's it's <laughs> you know, I'm just I keep thinking back to that screening and how much fun it was. And like once, you know, like Tom Lennon shows up as the traveling accordion salesman, <laughs> you know, you hear like people going, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it, man, I know Al seemed to be in interviews. Okay, that it's going to Roku, um, you know, for streaming. And most people, you know, 99% of the people are going to see it, you know, sitting at home with maybe a couple of friends and some pizzas and stuff, which is fine. I, 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 yeah, I,
1: he was he was so okay with it. He's like, you guys could do VPN or torrent. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. For yeah, a fan from Australia was like, hey, we don't get Roku down here, and Al basically all but said, just pirate it. <laughs> um,
1: I don't, I don't have um, I I, I just wish... Roku. I know that you were kind enough to, you know, let us watch it on yours. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Oh, f-
2: of course course uh my i'm i'm just disappointed that you know not everybody got to see it in a theater because i think it would have been a lot of fun it would have been a real party to see it in a theater because it was it was for me and
1: some movies are meant to be like that i mean Mm -hmm. uh, when i still think of um everything everywhere all at once it is definitely the the (laughs) first time i saw it in the cinema down at you know the uh, Philly critic screening yeah yep I uh, and I saw it three times in the theater at three different theaters, and God knows how many times at home so far. And my brain is always transported back to that critic screening because I had never been in anything like that before. That theater, you go to a Marvel movie, you're expecting, you know, some fan service, and all of a sudden the place goes wild when someone shows up in cameos. But everything, everywhere, all at once, was a perfectly original. Film, when you're sitting there with a bunch of bunch of critics, which obviously sometimes you you get this in your head that they can be a little jaded through years and years of just watching movies, and you don't see anything that really surprises you anymore, so you get bored. And then that wasn't this screening. That was. <laughs> I've never heard so many oohs and ahs and laughter and oh and everything and then by the end of it we were all on our feet full audience standing Mm -hmm. ovation for this movie and it just blew my goddamn mind (laughs) and so i can imagine how weird was
2: it's definitely on my list of best films of the year fairly high at the top same um this is of course my first year of voting in a critics organization And I'm excited to see, (laughs) um, but I'm excited to see how um, my my friends who are also in this organization how they're going to vote. Uh, I know we've had discussions already, and both this and RRR have featured in those discussions, which is interesting. I mean, I mean, some of these were talks we had before, like the end of the year Oscar uh bait material comes out and i still have a lot of stuff to watch in the next couple of weeks
1: yeah um speaking of movies for the rest of the year there's only 2 blockbustery kind of movies left for this year the rest of it's all oscar work um because <laughs> i went down the listing the other day for darren because he was asking me what's coming out that he would like to see and i'm like Pretty much the only things left for you are Knives Out and Way of the Water. <laughs> and then the rest of it's all just awesome. You don't think
2: you'd be interested in, like, The Fablemans? No. Oh, okay. No. That's... Uh,
1: he wasn't interested in Belfast. Why the hell would he be interested in The Fablemans? <laughs> <laughs> and out of the two directors, I know which one he likes better, and it's definitely Kenneth Branagh.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. Um... Okay, but yeah, I mean, glass onion. Actually, I'm seeing glass onion tomorrow. I told you. I told you this is my makeup from missing it at the film festival because my car broke down on the Google Expressway. I
1: forgot all about oh, it. Now I just have to say this hmm. for the record: fuck you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if, if I could bring you, I would. But Netflix is a uh, It's says critics only. Yeah, they're poopy about that that way.
1: Critics Circle? No. Or just uh, Critics?
2: Critics. If you're on the Critics list with Allied. I need to get you onto Allied's list then. That might be a conversation we have off air. Um,
1: I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, there aren't a lot of blockbusters left, um, which is why this past weekend I think was so important because... It was our last big superhero film of the year, mm-hmm. Wakanda Forever, and <laughs> thank you.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm mouthing nice transition to her, like, because I I wanted to acknowledge it in the moment, but not make it part of the text of of what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but it's so hilarious. I just, I just derailed you, and I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, it's okay. Anyway, we <laughs> there aren't a lot of movies that are superhero left for the year. I think Wakanda Forever. Um, was kind of the perfect way to close that out. So let's mm-hmm. get into it.
2: Yes. And oddly enough, I think, um, the first thing we have to talk about with Wakanda forever is that it deals with grief. It's and
1: very we're much... back to the beginning
2: of this podcast. Yes, exactly. Please. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, that's not how I wanted all of this to come together. So
1: technically we had multiple transitions in the play.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
1: guess
2: <laughs> not quite how I wanted to do this. Um, but, But to be serious, um, they, they waste, I don't want to say they waste no time in establishing what happens, but, because that kind of sounds a little, almost flip, but the film starts off with, within two minutes of um, T'Challa, which had been played by Chadwick Boseman, uh, passing away. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a gut punch way to start your movie, and it gives you i think two two individual moments that brought tears to my eyes at least um right at the beginning you have shuri being hit with the news that her brother is dead and she was not able to save him and then
1: damn it the mural
2: the the no
1: no what the hit? marvel
2: studios logo oh! Oh, yeah which is
1: I, as, as, I you burst into the tears when they that.
2: pull back you know and it's all the different superhero movies and a little you know to show the the breadth and width of the Marvel cinematic universe it was all just Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther and it, yeah. I, right now even I'm like goose pimples it's it just was like oh <laughs> I was kind of like damn you Kevin Feige it's too early in this movie to start crying um, I
1: heard you sniffling next to me mm-hmm.
2: and that's the second time and I was ready for it I mean when I was at the screening earlier in the week I was just like again <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting next to um one of my friends there and I just like I don't want to like, cry in front of this dude but <laughs> but at the same time I, I w- cried
1: my way through the entirety of this movie mm-hmm it was hard not to um yeah, right from the right from the start it 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 hits you they hit you in the face with it mm-hmm. um and it, they're like, we're gonna take you on this journey because you i I think the audience and the fans in general are still kind of you know it's it's it it's been two years. But I don't think that we, as a a group, have been able to grieve. I I think we haven't been given the proper opportunity to. The last movie that we saw of Chadwick's um, was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I'm sorry, uh, I know that for most Marvel fans, whether you were a Black Panther fan or not, they didn't see it. No. No, they probably didn't even know about it.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to and be honest, got... that's
1: a hard one to watch because you can see just his degeneration.
2: You can see him that he's ill. Yeah. And um, and then after that, he did a little uh, couple of episodes of What If. Yeah. Which are probably recorded way in advance.
1: And so. the the couple episodes of What If are good, but mm-hmm. it's they're not. It's it's his voice. It's but you're not seeing him.
2: And I and I don't think you know they're not built around. Anything outside of a fun story in the Marvel multiverse,
1: yeah. Whereas here, this I think allows people to heal yeah. and kind of move on. And with Shuri, we have to get through the the level of anger and and vengeance and pain and, and
2: bargaining and yeah, yeah. It, I mean, we
1: go through the stages yeah, of grief. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was I was gonna say I you know I haven't sat down and consciously thought you know kubler Ross you know how that plays out across the script uh, but it feels very natural Yeah, the, how she moves through her grief over the space of like a year and I would say almost a year and a half mm-hmm. that this story plays out uh, until she gets to where we find her at the end and um, that acceptance and being able to move on and then everything else uh, and we're not going to spoil that. No. Um, we're no, not going to spoil da, anything. Da. But in addition to so so all of that stuff, I think works really well, and the f- and the fact that uh, Ryan Coogler was able to create this story and also weave into it the other you know more let's more mundane concerns of advancing the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe storyline mm-hmm. uh, by introducing in, Ironheart, introducing Ironheart, and Rui Williams, and introducing Namor, which is a biggie that's a big element to to be introducing. Uh it's an incredible juggling act here. And if I I don't think the film is quite as good as the original Black Panther, but it's a darn close second.
1: Yeah. No, I I agree. And I love that um I love that the those are really only the two major elements that are going to be overreaching through the rest of the marvel cinematic universe Mm -hmm. i like that this film is kind of its own its own entity um it it doesn't come with post credit it doesn't they're not throwing something in your face that hey this is coming your way like Mm -hmm. no it's it's, it's very an emotionally contained story and it's not I don't think this story is for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is for the people.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Kugler had said, you know, writing and shooting, making this film, had been a um, an act of grieving in itself and an act of processing it. And so it's kind of weird that, you know, the act of telling a story about processing grief is its own act of processing grief, Mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating. And if I was better versed in psychology, maybe I could be talking about this a little bit deeper. Uh, But I just at least want to note that it's there. Yeah. Um, Now, I heard some people mention that they thought like, oh, you didn't need Riri Williams in this. I'm like, well, you needed somebody in there because she does perform vital plot points. You know, she's the one who creates... The Vibranium Detector, which is how the people of Namor's Undersea Kingdom, you know, feel threatened. And that becomes the main conflict. And then she becomes something, you know, people are like, oh, they're just setting her up for the Ironheart series that's going to be on Disney Plus next year or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't see it that way. Yes, the character is going on and we know that going into the movie. But I think her use here works just fine for me i
1: I like the idea also that it helps shuri kind of in a weird way she becomes a big sister
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so she she switches in the middle somewhere and she becomes Chitala to shuri she has someone that she needs to care for that she needs to protect Mm -hmm. who is intelligent, kind of reminds her of herself.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's very much a different version. uh, Riri is very much a different version of Shiri. Um, They're both, you know, know, comic book level super geniuses, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, who can make stuff out of anything. And it's just they have different backgrounds, but they're, you know, they have that commonality as well. So, you know, obviously, like you said, Shiri is seeing something of herself in Riri. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And steps up to a mantle, I think, even earlier on in the story than we expect and um, and becomes her, her protector, her guardian, um, as I said, her elder sister. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the things that she may have needed was to find someone who she could save, that she could protect. It was almost like the universe giving her a second chance of being able to save someone else. Mm-hmm. She failed to do it for her brother. She was not going to fail again for this little girl. Yes,
2: and that's that's what drives her. Yeah. And um you know, granted we get some big action p- set pieces towards the end because it's a Marvel movie. Uh and and they're a lot of fun. Um they're a little horrific at times, I thought, you know. Um with uh, the Atlant... Uh, I want to say Atlanteans, because I'm so uh, yeah, used to, I, I know, to Namor being, thing, yeah. uh, you know, from Atlantis. But DC already cop- uh you know, copped Claim that one. For, uh, for the movies. And so, so okay, well, let's talk about it. The whole reshaping uh, re- the Namor character into a, um, you know, an Incan, of Incan descent. And, which also gives them a an opening to talk about colonizers Mm -hmm. and uh, white European uh, conquistadors in both Africa history and um, Central American history. Um, Did you think that worked overall?
1: Honey, I didn't even know who Namor was before this. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, sure, it worked. Mm.
2: (laughs) Okay, so like when he said Imperius Rex there at the end, that meant nothing to you. Nope, because that was kind of like Namor's battle cry in the comics. Imperius Rex, because he's the ruler of an undersea kingdom, which is Atlantis, which you know has its vague Lat, Lat, uh, you know, uh, Greek, Greco-Roman roots. So you know they would have spoken Latin there, and then bah, it bah, bah,
1: meant bah, bah. nothing
2: to okay. me. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All righty. I'm uh, not the comic did, person. I know. I know. I, well,
1: I I have enough comic knowledge to keep me going. Mm-hmm. I don't get into more of the minor characters or majors of minors or yeah, yeah, yeah. minors of majors. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know all okay. of that. Yeah.
2: Okay, that's fair. Um, so what was your reaction when he said that? Did that mean anything to you, or just like what? <laughs> it, it
1: was a it was a mixture of what and a mixture of. I I was, I was actually doing the translation in my head, trying to figure out if there was a a particular reason for why he said those words. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I know Rex means king and Imperius, you know. Then, yeah, it's it, so. I did the I did the translation, and then I went, okay, that still doesn't mean shit to me. Anyway, well, and, moving and, and on. <laughs> honestly, as I'm thinking
2: about it, you're right. It doesn't. It. it shouldn't. It shouldn't even be coming out of his mouth. Not they if don't, they make him Incan. Yeah. There, there's no way that they set that up. Yeah. Um, it, that I'll admit, that's absolutely fan service then. I think we've just solved that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because at the moment I was like, oh, he said Imperius Rex. And, but now I'm thinking about it. Yeah.
1: But I also did like, now knowing that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we have his battle cry. So the Wakandan battle cry. Yes. And she just blows him away (laughs) and uh literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. so you can kind of see which one is more powerful
2: yes it's it's a great moment in the fact that they're kind of exchanging their uh, mottos mottos or what have you um but yeah (laughs) on this uh, but beyond the surface if you look under the surface strangely enough choice of phrasing here um it doesn't work no um but i think that's really about the only thing that didn't work here everything else um his you know his disdain for the uh, surface mm-hmm. dwellers uh comes slightly from a different place for this from version a of the time character too yeah than from the comics version of the character i mean the comics version of the character hated surface dwellers but it was nuanced enough that, you know, they would have him team up with Captain America and some other characters during World War II as the invaders. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, well, OK, the Nazis are really bad. So I guess I can put up with you, uh, you guys over here in America and we'll fight them. But I'll go back to hating you guys. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> well, when you think about it, subs.
2: Yeah, submarines. There, there
1: was a lot of war going on in the freaking ocean,
2: yeah. and
1: that may have been threatening at the time to his people.
2: That's true. Yeah, the Atlantis was obviously in the Atlantic, so and there was a lot of uh, sub warfare going on in the North Atlantic. So you're yeah. welcome. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I would love that, Back in the seventies, early eighties, there was a great run of uh, the Invaders, and I would love to read that whole thing. I gotta. I got to track down like the there's like 4 or 5 hardback volumes of it and I got to find out if I have $200 or so to invest <laughs> in all of that. But
1: one of the things that I uh, I truly loved however was um there was two interesting I don't want to call them they're not romantic connections. Mm-hmm. Um but it almost felt like um, trying to think of the right word here that or right phrase I want to use. Um, alliances okay. that could be made with Shuri. One with Namor mm-hmm. and one with Umbaku. By mm-hmm. the way, Wilson Duke is Umbaku, <laughs> is literally my favorite character in this fucking film.
2: <laughs> he is fantastic. He
1: is grown so much from being just this, you know, buff king who I mean, in the first one, he felt definitely more animal and less brain. Here, he you actually get to see a lot more of what his duties entail. Mm-hmm. And he is so freaking intelligent and strategic. It's
2: mm-hmm.
1: – yeah, yeah, he's and still – he's still a little brash. He's still a little brash of, hey, he's a threat. Let's kill him. And he's no longer a threat. But then he starts to think about it later on. And he's like, no, they call him Kuku Kan the feather serpent God, which means if we fucking kill the God, we got an eternal war on our hands. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's interesting to see his, his process as a, as mentor, as friend Mm -hmm. to Shuri, uh, almost her Jiminy cricket.
2: Yes. And, and he reveals that, (laughs) look, I told your brother I would be here and this is what I'm doing. And, and, he said it in a way that it was felt like very look, you know, I promise and I'm going to be here for you. Yeah, he said it like very openly and like, I'm going to be here for you. But at the same time, I felt just a hair of a uh, undercurrent of and you have no choice about this, <laughs> um, <laughs> but- which I like. And I think his performance is fun. Like he his entrance when he just walks in and he's like munching on that carrot or whatever it was. <laughs> Turnip. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and he and he was so casual. I'm like, here's an actor who knows how to take a prop and just have fun with
1: it. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, like, I've always said this about anyone. You hand them a piece of food in a scene that is supposed to be about power and that character becomes the most cockiest son of a bitch in the room. Mm-hmm. which we see in the J.J. Abrams first Star Trek movie during the Kobayashi Maru scene, and he's just munching on the goddamn apple. Because he,
2: he knows, yeah, because he, he's cocky, because he knows he's reprogrammed everything. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Um, I like that. <laughs> you never thought about that? I, I think we've had that, that discussion before, <laughs> but now that, you know, you bring it back, it's like, yeah, that works here too.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> um yeah, no, and I, and I love her kinship that she has briefly with Namor when they're at Tolucan is just, it, it's so beautiful. Honest, I was getting fricking James Cameron vibes through that entire, you know, let's explore the city underwater. And I'm like, <laughs> motherfucker, that's in a month. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> but it, it's still beautiful. I think it still works. Um, I was getting, vibes back to atlantis uh the lost empire when that ball of that was supposed to be like their son underwater came out of the the building i was mm-hmm. and it floated above the city i'm like if that's the closest we ever get to a live action atlantis the last emperor i guess i'll just fucking take it uh <laughs> but i mean i that's kind of what i was i was seeing there um and I like just how much they are very similar, mm-hmm. her, her and, and him. and um, But at the exact same time, he plays in ultimatums. He's not willing to waver in any sense, which I just kind of show how out of touch he is with the world mm-hmm. being, you know, underwater and being so far away. He doesn't move with the times he's forever stuck in their underwater bubble
2: yes and and that's the character in the comics too yeah for the most part for decades um now granted i haven't read a whole lot of marvel stuff in the last 10 15 years um i'm not sure what they've been doing with namor if you know they've gotten a little bit more you know political and fleshed that side out um i know Recent runs of Aquaman over at d c they've done things like that. you know they've gone back to the idea that you know Arthur Curry is actually you know the king of Atlantis there at times, sometimes he's not you know depending on what they decide to do um that guy's been on and off the throne so much there's probably a joke about a bathroom in there somewhere that I'm not finding <laughs> right now um, but you know so I would like to see something like that i mean they they establish. <laughs> Some some of the politics of what's going on, mm-hmm. which I find, I always find interesting, you know, when you start introducing fantastical concepts into a, a world, what are the political ramifications of that? We saw that with um, the the scenes in the UN, Richard Schiff. Yeah,
1: I was just about to bring <laughs> him up. I'm like, don't forget about our special guest star, Richard Schiff. And yes, that is actually a credit. He gets
2: more movies need to have special guest star credits. <laughs> they used to do that all the time in like the 60s.
1: <laughs> there was one little thing that when I left the theater, I think I, I don't know if I said it to to you, but I know I definitely said it to Darren and I go, I can just imagine Julia Louise Drives' Valentina and, and Martin Freeman's character can't remember his name right now. Ross. Ross. I knew it started with an R. I was thinking mm. Roy. Uh, <laughs> having the kinkiest goddamn sex in the oh, world. Jesus. <laughs> like those two, uh, that's that's a power move right there. Do you really think Martin Freeman's Ross? Maybe Martin Freeman in another character, but Martin Freeman as Ross is just going to lay over and take it from her?
2: Pro- no. mm, I don't know to
1: a certain extent, uh, but I think he, I, I think he puts up a. This is this uh, is a this, conversation we usually
2: don't even <laughs> we have off mic.
1: But it was kind of mm-hmm. funny. I was yeah. they they had a wonderful tension. Oh yeah, um,
2: when you find out that they were formerly married. Yeah, um, and then
1: and she's his superior mm-hmm. at the CIA, yeah. like yeah. It, that. That you could see like the marital. Um tension and you can also see the work tension, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why my brain went there. I'm like <laughs> this I, I want to see a film of just those two
2: mm-hmm.
1: working shit out. Yeah.
2: Now those two obviously um are gonna be showing up later on in things. Uh we already yes. know, you know, we've seen uh Julia Louise Dreyfus' character popping up in a few places already. Thunderbolts. And, yeah, most likely, you know, heading towards Thunderbolts. We know Ross is going to be back for Secret Invasion, also over on Disney+. Plus.
1: I am so excited for that because of its political thriller vibes mm-hmm. that I'm getting and, like, society paranoia. Like, I am so behind that right now because I am getting bored with Marvel and Star Wars. Um... Okay. Well, first of all, I'm liking Andor because it's like that. Okay, it's different.
2: But you're you're way behind on Andor. I know.
1: I know. I'm way behind on it. Okay. I only watched (laughs) the first episode.
2: Yeah. Well, that's nine episodes behind. (laughs) I've
1: been busy.
2: I know. I know. And I don't get up at five
1: a.m. to watch it before going to work. I like my sleep.
2: Um, I, I anxiously await the call after episode 10. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, but yeah, if, to finish off this, uh, side, sidebar discussion here really quick, Andor, uh, Andy Serkis and, uh, Stellan Stagarsgard have been turning in fantastic performances.
1: When don't all. they?
2: That's true. <laughs> but this is like, e- this feels like even next level. And. Okay. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about what's, you know, going to be happening in the Marvel Universe. And But I don't think this – outside of, I think, the Ross and Val stuff, this movie doesn't make a whole lot of big hay about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we know Riri Williams is going to come back. She's going to build her another suit and – For a while, but, I don't want to see another
1: Black Panther film. Mm-hmm. I would, I would like to see, obviously, characters split in and out of the rest of the Marvel Universe – but in order for people to still have that chance to breathe, to become accustomed to our new Black Panther, show us what that character can do outside of their own film and then we'll come back around. Um but for a while I think we should be done in Wakanda.
2: Well I know Googler is supposedly developing a Wakanda series. Okay, but they haven't officially announced it.
1: But it's gonna be a while, so, probably yeah. before it's on the roster, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I will admit though, I want me some more Umbaku.
2: <laughs> I have a feeling we're not gonna go back to Wakanda until maybe was it twenty early 2024 when uh Captain America: New World Order comes out, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. We're yeah, we're not gonna see Wakanda again for a while okay. um and that's fine, I mean, there's a lot of the marvel uh world to explore um, yeah
1: we're about we, to we're about to go into the quantum verse like yes next february <laughs> we we're going to be taking on a whole new world mm-hmm. Hey, see what I did there yeah, underwater a whole I, new world gotcha. <laughs> um
2: also a couple of years down the road, we have the fantastic four oh, that's and a lot. do do Oops. they do they introduce? Uh, Doctor Doom in that movie, and then we get Latveria
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, in the uh, in the Alps, a little country that he's the despotic ruler of. So the one
1: movie I am just dying for right now, and I hope they can get their shit together.
2: <laughs> you know which one? Blade. Oh, Blade. Yes. Oh my. Oh boy. God. Mm.
1: Yeah, I know.
2: Yes, it's.
1: Please get your shit together. This movie needs to be made.
2: I know. I w- I'm anxious to see it because it's, it'd be interesting to see how they define magic. Well, not the magic so much, supernatural like ghosts and stuff like that. And yeah, you could say, oh, ghosts are you know astral projection, which we see in <laughs> Doctor Strange. Uh but like supernatural creatures like vampires.
1: Yeah, we've had them mentioned,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the same with uh, mutants. In fact, they they use the term again in in Wakanda, but
2: um, yeah. I think we're going to get cock teased with mutants uh, being said while. every now and then for for a good while. I don't. Do you think we're going to see them before the end of Phase Six and the next two Avengers movies? Mm, yeah. You think we're actually going to get an X Men film, or at least a couple of those? We're characters? not getting
1: that X Men film, but we're getting Deadpool.
2: Well, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I honestly, I'm. Raising an eyebrow as to how much Deadpool will play into the overall MCU. Um, I, I have a feeling it's going to be really fast and loose. And
1: I mean, yeah, it'll we be. We can really,
2: wave it away if we wanted to.
1: It'll be fast and loose, but it depends on who they decide to bring into cameo. Obviously, mm-hmm. we know that. Our, we're gonna get <sighs> Hugh Jackman as Wolverine again.
2: You seem like to be the only person on the planet who's not enthused by that idea.
1: i'm so over him right now
2: wow interesting
1: as wolverine i am over him he was given the one of the best endings to someone playing a role for more than for almost 20 years ever and i don't care if they hand wave it away as it was a, a different part of the multiverse or no, this or that. This is
2: supposedly takes place before that movie.
1: I know it takes but. place before it, because obviously the timeline. Mm-hmm. But I already grieved and moved on. I don't want to fucking return to that. The, for me at this point, it is just pure fan service. Okay,
2: that that's fair, and that's,
1: I went you know, that's how and you a,
2: process a lot of your affection for characters yeah
1: we went through an emotional process with logan we were we were given the chance to watch him grow old to fight for the next generation to almost in a in a weird way have a a daughter to die we have gone through that entire thing and us as the audience we had to go through our our five stages of grieving
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and and it feels like such a uh, fuck you To just have him come back Just so that you can go Well here, here he is with Deadpool like you've always wanted to see I'm okay having a Wolverine Deadpool crossover I just don't want it to be Hugh Jackman He's the only one They have not At this point uh, Recast in any sense of the, the word Mm-hmm. Don't you think it's fucking time you let someone else have a crack at that role?
2: Oh, yeah. I I have a feeling this is kind of like a a victory lap for the character and for Jackman. And to, okay, you guys got what you wanted. And now in the MCU proper, we're going to introduce a whole new gang of people to play the X-Men. Much in the same way as we got Patrick Stewart in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Hmm you know, know kind of a little hat tip goodbye um thanks for coming around and by the way here's the animated x men theme just so you can hear it in a big theater uh- i know
1: it just it just drove me nuts mhm it, it drove me nuts when that was announced i was like what are you f- are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like that was literally my reaction to it mhm I am all about a third Deadpool movie. I think Deadpool is absolutely fantastic. I I, I like that it's the weird Al of the Marvel universe. <laughs> it's just completely parodying and fucking everything up. I love it. But there there is a difference between um fucking around with your audience and then really it for me that felt like a fuck you to the
2: audience. For for those who were emotionally invested and went through mm-hmm. that process. You know, that's an absolutely valid point. And I can see it.
1: Now, obviously, I'm going to go see it. I'm going to go see <laughs> Deadpool 3. Like, it's not going to make me boycott the fucking movie. I'm going to go not. see yeah. it. And I'll probably enjoy the hell out of it. Mm. But I am still probably going to stand by how it's going to make me feel. It doesn't mean I'm not going to end up enjoying the results that are created. It's just until I see those results, I'm angry with them for screwing around with me.
2: Okay. That's, 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 like I said, that's fair. I think that's, and that's an interesting view I have not really seen expressed elsewhere. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, And I think on that note, we're going (laughs) to wrap things up. Uh, You can currently see Weird, the Al Yankovic story on the Roku channel. Um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is currently in theaters and was there anything else we talked about that's we need to remind people where it actually is Um And some and, others And Andor what and, if? And is over on Disney Plus Disney baby Plus, Which celebrated its 3rd anniversary this week.
1: Yeah, we got a lot going yeah. on.
2: <laughs> I, I, I wanted at one point, I think, to talk about the, you know, where where we, would we see Disney plus being in 50 years besides owning everything. Um, but
1: yeah, they just they just bought up Doctor Who.
2: Yeah, that's that we'll save that for another discussion, though.
1: <laughs> that's a long discussion. To
2: oh, have. boy. Howdy, is it? <laughs> uh, but yes. So again, thank you all for being here.
1: Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there. Search and hit subscribe.
2: And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review, because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next time with more news and film discussion.
1: And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in love
0: and loyalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah.